How many of you have ever been to Kansas? Anybody ever been to Kansas? Okay. So a few years back, I lived in Colby, Kansas. And uh, in Colby, Kansas, there's something that you might notice if you've ever been through that part of the state. And, and what you might notice is that there are things missing there. In fact, there's almost nothing there. there yeah, you're missing there. I get it. <laughs> but there's nothing there. Uh, and, and it was a few years ago, my sister was getting married. Now, this was a, a big year because in 364 days' time, all four of my siblings got married. One in Ohio, one in Minnesota, one in Colorado, and then this last one was in Kentucky. So I, living in Kansas, was pretty used to being able to see a long distance. We know what this is like here. Uh, because you could step outside right now and see for miles, um, because we don't have things blocking our view. But as we headed down the road towards Kentucky, I started noticing something. These green things started growing up on the side of the road and getting taller and closer to the road. They're called trees. We don't have them in Kansas. We don't have very many of them here. But as we got further down that way, uh, these trees just kept getting bigger and bigger and closer to the road. Now, what was intimidating in that was that the speed limit did not change the whole time. So you're going 75, 80 miles an hour down the interstate, and there's trees right there. Now here, you could see if something was running at the road or coming to the road, but there you cannot. And it's intimidating, and it's terrifying. And right as we hit the border of Kentucky, the sun started to set. And what we started noticing was just how dark it could get. We're following a GPS uh, to my sister's house, which is in the middle of the trees somewhere in southern Kentucky. And as we're going, uh, it tells us turn left. So we turn off this little road onto what looked like a road and then turned into two ruts and then turned into nothing in about 100 feet. And we're sitting in the middle of this tiny little clearing with trees all around us. And I'm thinking, this cannot be where my sister lives because there's nothing here. There's no house. There's no anything. We sat there for a second and the overwhelming darkness started to overwhelm us a little bit. It was intimidating. It was intense. You could hear the banjo music floating through the trees. (laughs) It was a terrifying moment. I called my sister. I was like, where, where is your house? She goes, well, I don't see you outside, I don't see your headlights, so you must not be that close. And I explained kind of where we turned. She goes, oh, I know where you're at, which of course she does, you know, in the middle of Kentucky. Um, and, and we backed out of there as quickly as we could and started heading back down what felt more like a real road. We hit something with the car, but I wasn't stopping anymore. I was just going to keep going. Um, it was something small, so I didn't figure it was that big of a deal. We finally get to my sister's house. And I get out and I look at the front of my car and there's a dead bat hanging there on the front of my car. We were driving in this cave of trees and it was intense. It was terrifying just how dark it can actually get. Now, I love the trees. I love seeing them. But it was just that moment of realizing, my goodness, I can't see anything. I can't see anything no matter what direction I look. There's no signs of light anywhere outside of what we've brought with our headlights. It's terrifying, and darkness can be an intimidating thing. It's, it, it's hard to see where you're going, uh, and what's even more important is you can't see what's hiding in the darkness, right? It can be a terrifying thing. It feels powerful and overwhelming, and yet, even in all of its intimidating power, it's amazing how quick a small amount of light can just dissipate it. 
A small amount of light just pierces right through. There's nothing that darkness can do to stop this light from cutting through it. And I find that incredible after sitting in moments where I've seen darkness be so overwhelming. If you have your Bible with you, we're going to be looking in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16 today as we continue on in this series leading up to Christmas. We're looking at this idea of light, uh, this this, path, uh, this pattern and path of light all the way through Scripture. And in Matthew 5, 13 through 16, we have Jesus giving what we know as the Sermon on the Mount. And he's sharing with people about the kingdom of God, and he is telling them what it looks like to be a follower of God, what it looks like to honor God. And this is what he says, starting in verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. This is truly one of my favorite sections of Scripture because the call in it is simple and clear and very straight. It's easy for us to understand, and it's, it's one of those things that, that we've heard many times, I'm sure. If you've been in the church for a while, you've heard sermons about this section of Scripture. You've read it. You've seen it. We understand it. We're to let our light shine that others would glorify God. We get that. So sermon done. That's it. We can go home, right? It should be that simple, right? It should be that easy, and yet, sadly, whenever we see something so simple or so clear in Scripture, we, for some reason, always seem to struggle with it. We always struggle to live it out. It's not that we don't get it. We do get it. In fact, we think that we're doing it when we're not. There's a lie that we, as a church, and, and the church universal, uh, lives in right now. It's a lie that doesn't seem, it doesn't seem bad. It doesn't seem false. It doesn't seem like a lie. It sounds close to right. In fact, it sounds right to most of us. And here's what that lie is. When I put my faith in Jesus, with Jesus, he makes me a better person. Jesus makes me a, a good person. He comes in and he takes what good was hiding underneath and brings it to the surface. Now, you may be going, well, isn't that what he does? And that's the thing is, we, we believe that that's what he does. We see uh, people change and we go, yeah, see, God just makes them better through Jesus. He makes them a good person, makes them a better person. He's made me a better person. But we're going to look here because Scripture is clear that that's not what he does. That's not the work that he does when he comes in. 2 Corinthians 5.17, another verse that we probably know really, really well. But I want you to hear this. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. It's not, oh, he's a better creature or he is a better person. It's completely new, a new creation, brand new. Everything has changed. This has been a theme in, in our youth ministry this year that we've been seeing over and over. We've been working on discipling students in a one-on-one -on -one basis. And we're finding that many of our students feel that they're with Jesus, he helps them turn over a new leaf. And, and they're not understanding it's not a new leaf, but a new life that has to change, that has to come. 
a new life that has happened, a new life that has begun, a new identity. The identity of old was, was attached and defined by your sin nature, and now you have an identity defined by Christ, by the Spirit of God that is in you. In this new identity, we become something new. We become his witnesses. We become witnesses of Christ and God and his message. That's what we become witnesses and ambassadors of. So how many of you like to wear ugly Christmas sweaters? A few of you do. Nobody was bold enough to join me today. I'm sad. I should have probably sent you a message and let you know you could have. But What's, uh, you know, what's funny is I don't really enjoy Christmas decorations very much. I think they're, they, yeah, they look nice. I'm never going to really set them up because I don't want to have to take them down in the cold. That's how it works. My wife's with me on that. I don't really like cats either. But when you put them together for some reason on a sweater, it's just wonderful. And I love that. So I, I love wearing the ugly sweaters when I can. But I have one sweater that I like to wear. And it's a, a Christmas sweater, but it has uh, this reindeer on it wearing sunglasses and little snowflakes falling. And I like to wear that one every year on the first snow of the year, which often happens sometime in like October. And when I wear this in October, it amazes me how many times a stranger has come up to me and said, you have the wrong season. You can't wear that right now. You're wearing the wrong shirt. And I'm going, I'm just wearing it because it's snowing, but that's a Christmas sweater. And these are strangers. And multiple times it has happened that people come and tell me, you can't wear that this time of year. It'd be like me showing up in in this to preach in early June. It'd be weird. It'd be strange. You'd probably go, why are you wearing a Christmas sweater? I I don't understand what's going on in that. But what I've noticed in this is that when I wear these Christmas sweaters at other times of the year, I stand out. I stand out. People notice. People go out of their way to mention, hey, you're, you're different. You're being kind of weird. I'm trying to help you. <laughs> like, people do that. They, they notice it. When Jesus said, hey, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. He was bringing up, hey, you are something that should stand out like an ugly sweater for Christmas in July. It doesn't make sense to the people around. They see it and they can't leave it alone they got to find out why you're different. You should stand out to a point that people notice. I talk to students all the time about this going, hey, if when we put our faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit of God does truly indwell us, and we have the same power living in us that rose Jesus from the dead, don't you think we should stand out in a room? And, and they always go, well, yeah, probably. But we need to think about that. Don't you think that if you truly have the Spirit of God living in you, you should stand out? You should be different, look different. People should notice something about you. You should be something different. And this transformation in Christ declares us as his witnesses, as those who represent him, as those who are his ambassadors throughout the New Testament. Starting in Acts 1.8, it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in both Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. 1 Peter 3, 15 through 16. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Philippians 2, 14 through 15. 
Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in the world full of crooked and perverse people. I love those last two verses. The first one calls us clearly, you will be my witnesses. And then the next two give us this this thing that says, and you will stand out. And you will be noticed. When people ask you about the hope that's in you, when, when someone notices that, be ready to explain it. Be shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. You should shine. Now, in the darkness, when someone turns on a light, you notice. It's like when, when uh, your spouse wakes up early to go to work and you're still sleeping because you don't have to get up yet, but they flip on the light anyways, right? Because they're going, if I have to go to work, you have to get up, right? Some of you go through this, but they'll flip on the brightest light that's possible in the room. Sometimes they'll reflect it right at your face, you know, those, those kind of things. But that light pierces through, doesn't it? It wakes you up. It hits you. It's something that stands out even with your eyes closed. You notice it. And we need to realize that's what he's calling us to. That's what he describes us as. That's what he says we should be. Now, we understand this. We've heard this. We've seen this. But I, I'm wondering if where we struggle is that we don't understand how it, how it works practically. How do we actually do this? What are the elements that actually need to be there for us to live out the idea of being salt and light? The first one is this. Selflessness. We have to look at the way that we're living and realize where we are living selfishly versus selfless. It's not living a my happiness mentality. It's not seeking after the things that that bring you joy, but seeking after God's glory. I want to ask you a question. When was the last time that you did something good simply that God would be glorified? Just simply that he would receive glory. This is actually a hard question for us to answer honestly because we, we start going through a list of the good things that we've done recently. We start going through this list of, of, of things going, okay, I want this to be about God's glory, but what happens is when we realize the way that we truly live, we find that we often seek our own glory more than his in those moments. But when you do something that has no promise of reward, no promise of a warm, fuzzy feeling, and, and may even lead to your suffering, but you do it because it is right and good and because you've been called to do it. It's those moments where we start moving beyond glory, seeking to glory giving. And when we do what's right, no matter what the cost will be to us, is when we start to step out of the selfish attitude into a selfless attitude. And it starts there if we want to represent Christ. It's, it starts there if we want to see God glorified through the works that we do. It's not that doing good things is a bad thing, but we in the church have bought into the same thing as the world. And we've set up systems that, that we do good things and it makes us feel good. And that's how we get people to continue to do good things. It's not, uh, I mean, when was the last time you saw an opportunity in the church that was gonna cause you to suffer if you volunteered in it? Besides youth ministry. I mean, that's clear. But think about it. We don't, we don't set those kind of things up, do we? even though there are times that those are the things that need done. Those are the things that we're called to. 
we follow the same pattern that the world does oftentimes in going, eh, we'll just kind of let those things happen if they happen, but we're, we're going to focus on what makes people feel good. We have, to, we have to stop living that way. It's wrong for us to, to expect that we get to have the same pattern as the world, this perverse generation around us as what Scripture says. We have to live differently if we're going to stand out. And it starts with that selflessness. The next piece that we have, the next element, is we've got to have a focus. If we desire to give God glory through our actions, we first need to realize what does and doesn't glorify him. The first thing that, that we're going to look at that God makes clear glorifies him in Scripture is our faith. 2 Corinthians 1, 18 through 20 talks about our faith in God's word and his promises. It says this, As surely as God is faithful, our word to you does not waver between yes and no. For Jesus Christ, the Son of God, does not waver between yes and no. He is the one whom Silas, Timothy, and I preach to you. And as God's ultimate yes, he always does what he says. For all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes, and through Christ our amen ascends to God for his glory. I love this. When Jesus makes a promise, he does fulfill it. It's those moments where someone has told you, hey, I'm going to do this, and you ask them, are you really going to do it? And there's a resounding yes in response. And I love that, that we can look at this and see, hey, we can trust him because when he has promised something, he always fulfills it. He always does what he says. And in our faith in that, God is glorified. When we look at the promises of God and we go, okay, I'm going to confidently step out in these knowing that this is what he said and so this is what he will do. God is glorified in that. God has given the glory that he deserves through our faith. Maybe you're in a place now where you're going, yeah, but I don't really know where do I step out. I don't, I don't understand where I'm supposed to step in faith in that. And I would encourage you over the next few weeks to take some time to do a study through the promises of God in Scripture the promises that he gives to us, the promises through Christ that have been fulfilled, that are for us still, and that will be fulfilled. And read through these, see the faithful track record of God, and and then notice how you can step into it, how you can trust it and glorify God through that. I would encourage you to take time to do it. Abraham did a great job of trusting God at his word. Romans chapter 4, 18 through 21, Paul talks about it. He says, even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God had said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about 100 years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead. And so was Sarah's womb. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger. And in this, he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. Think about if that describes you. Are you fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises? Because in that, God is glorified. Having a focus on that of trusting him in our faith, he is glorified. Another way that that we glorify God is in our worship. Now, we tie the idea of worship to so many things. We look and say, okay, it doesn't matter if you're singing praises in a church or playing basketball at the Y. 
uh, I can worship God. And I'm not saying that you can't. We are called to honor and worship and glorify God in all things. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. And whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do it all to the glory of God, right? We know that we can and are called to glorify and worship God in all things. But I want you to think about this. When we approach God void of all other distractions and agendas and spend time worshiping him, he's glorified in in what I believe a more intimate and intense way, a very different way. But there's a problem. We don't have time for that. If we're going to get real about it, we, we don't have time to set aside things. Our schedule's so busy, and, and when we say it out loud, it sounds horrible, but we're, we go, God, I don't know that I really have time to spend with you. So instead, I'm going to apply this idea of worshiping you to everything that I'm already doing. It's not that we can't worship God in that way, but there is an importance in setting aside time to specifically and intimately spend with God. We grow in those times. We hear from God in those times. It's not looking at God and saying, here's my life schedule so you fit in. It's me looking at my schedule and saying, if God doesn't fit into this, I need to take some things out of it. I need to remove some things from it. It's time for us to stop trying to lay this blanket of holy dust on our busy lives so that we feel better about the lack of time we have to spend with God. We probably need to give up some of the busyness for the sake of God being glorified in our lives and in that intimate real relationship with him that we're called to have. If we want to worship God, we got to take time to actually do that, to understand that, to grow in that, and to worship him in the way that he has called, to worship him in times where there's no opportunity for me to receive glory, for me to receive recognition. But it's simply about him. It's simply for him to receive the praise that he deserves. Another area that we can give God glory is honestly in all that we do, just as we were just talking, but 1 Peter 4, 10 through 11 gives us a picture into how God has designed this to work. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. We, we've been given these gifts by God through his spirit to glorify him in the way that we serve one another and the way that we serve him using these gifts. Now, you may be sitting here going, I understand. I've heard this whole talk about gifts, but I really don't know that I really have any gifts. I would encourage you coming up here in January, we're starting our core classes again. They'll go through a round of eight weeks with that. And one of them is called Shape. You've probably heard us talk about it. You may have been here for years going, yes, yes, shape, shape, whatever, shape. But I'm just telling you that entire class is about helping you understand the way that God has designed you, the gifts that God has given you and giving you opportunities of where you can serve in that helping you understand, hey, if you want to glorify God with the gifts he's given you, here's what they are, and here's where you can use them right now today. It's important for us to know that, and so maybe you're here and you're going, I've never taken that class. I would encourage you to do it. I would encourage you to get signed up. Maybe you're going, I've taken that class. I understand. I know what those things are. Maybe it'd be good to take it again. 
Maybe it'd be good to go back through it and to understand clearly again that there are opportunities to be clear again on what those gifts are, what they mean, why it's important in the body, and how you can glorify God with them. I would encourage you to sign up for that and to be part of that class. We have to realize that if we desire to glorify God in anything that we do, it requires a specific focus of that. Our lives must be focused on seeing him glorified. Another area that glorifies God, another area that we are called to be his witnesses in, a way that we can live out this salt and light is through our boldness. It isn't always easy to live godly lives in our world, is it? It can be difficult in our culture to live out a life that represents Christ. It's hard because we, we don't enjoy ridicule and rejection or attack. We don't like those things. And, and the threat of those things has, has filled us with a fear that cripples us from being exactly what Jesus proclaimed us to be when he called us salt and light. The entire statement made by Jesus in this section calls us to be bold. When you eat something that has salt in it, you can taste it. No matter what else is in there, you can always find the salt in it. You can always taste it. The next time you have a cookie, see if you can taste the salt. You'll be amazed. Salt cuts through whatever else you put in there. It doesn't matter whatever, what other overwhelming ingredients you have, you will always be able to find salt because it has a bold flavor, sometimes way too bold. When I was a kid, uh, my parents went on a date and they left the five of us at home with one of our teenage neighbor girls. And uh, she's decided to make us uh, my least favorite meal of all time, macaroni and cheese. Some of you think I'm horrible. I don't care. Um, I don't like cheese. <laughs> and she decided to make this. And so I had said in, in you know, like every six-year-old, in a very kind and pleasant and respectful way, oh, I would not like to eat that. Can I find something else to eat, please? No, I, I, I complained about it. And in that, she got frustrated at me. And so she said, no, you will eat this. This is what I'm making. And in her frustration, she accidentally put way too much salt in it. Some of you are going, I don't put salt in my mac and cheese. I don't know why she did. But I remember sitting there at six years old, sitting at our counter, just crying as I'm trying to eat this mac and cheese that hurts because of how much salt's in it. It's horrible. That taste can be so bold. And I want you to just realize Jesus has called you to be that bold. That no matter what, no matter where you are at, you cut through. People notice it. People can always pick it out. That they can always see that there's something different about you. It's to represent something far greater than ourselves that the world will reject. The world will attack and the world will hate. Look at what Jesus said. They, if you feel that they're hating you, they hated me first. Of course they're going to hate you. They're not going to accept this difference. They want you to conform to what they've called. But I need you to stand out differently. It's something that we recognize immediately in the church. We, we celebrate it. And we recognize it so quickly because it honestly tends to be really rare that we see someone standing out so clearly. We immortalize it kind of in our Christian movies now. We praise it during our services, but we fail to be it. And, and the question comes down to this, why is that? Why do we fail to be this bold? I think it's because we forget that the boldness is not of us. 
Over the last uh, few weeks, I've had an opportunity to study through sections of Scripture that just keep coming up, even when it's like, oh, I'm not taking time to prepare for this or anything. They just keep coming up, talking about where this boldness comes from. But I want to start first by looking at Acts chapter 4, 29 through 31. This is where the believers have gathered together from the early church. They've started to face some attacks and threats from the Jewish leaders who do not agree with what they're teaching. They're threatening them. And this is what they get together and say to God in a prayer. And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand and he, or with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After this prayer, the meeting place shook and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. I want you to think about the last time that you sat down and went, God, you know the risk that it is for for me to step out where I work and to live differently. You know what people are going to say. You know the threat that's there, but God, fill me with boldness. Fill me with your spirit. God, by your spirit, help me to speak the word of truth with boldness, to be clear with it, to not shy away from it. When was the last time that, that the place you were in was shaken by you praying for God to send his spirit and to fill you with boldness? When was the last time that you in your life was shaken by that, by God saying, yes, let's go, let's do this. I will use you. Because God works in this way and this boldness does not come from within us, but from his spirit. In Romans chapter seven, Paul keeps talking, I think it's nine times he talks about him and his abilities and how they keep failing. And how no matter how equipped he is, he cannot do these things. Over and over and over again, he talks about himself. And then in chapter 8, 17 times Paul talks about how it is by the Spirit. It is through the Spirit of God. That is where we walk. That is where we get this boldness. That is where we grow. That is how we are to live as Christ followers, as salt and light, is only through the power of the Spirit of God. And we have to realize that if we want to be bold, it can't be in just your personality. Some of us have a personality that allows us to be bold at weird times. We'll step out and be, be crazy and weird and people will notice us, but that is not the boldness that stands out in this way. That's not the boldness that we're called to have. It's not that it's a bad one but it is different than the boldness that is directed by the Spirit of God. When we have this boldness, we can live unashamed of the message of the gospel, be the witnesses that we're called to be. Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God to the salvation of everyone who believes. Because of the Spirit of God in me, I don't have to be ashamed because I realize that the gospel is not something that I need to fear sharing. It is the power of God in the message of the light that we've been talking about. It's what we're called to be bold with. So to live this out, we first have to put aside our selfish ambition. We have to confidently trust God and his word and his promises and boldly step out to do the good things that he has called us to do. Maybe you're sitting here going, but has he really called me? Like, how do I know that there are actually good things that God wants me to do? 
How do I know that there are things that God actually has for me to do? He makes that so clear. Ephesians 2.10, we are God's masterpiece, created new in Christ Jesus so that we can do the things he planned for us long ago. Before you put your faith in Christ and were made new, God had a plan and he had things prepared for you to do. And he wants through the gifting that he's given you, through the spirit, to embolden you and use you to do these incredible things that he's called. We have some opportunities that come up at this church all the time to live this stuff out. One of them is happening today that you have an opportunity after church to grab a a Christmas box. We did Thanksgiving boxes last month. and, And today we have some boxes that are filled out in a trailer. There are envelopes at the welcome desk with names and and addresses, families that need the opportunity to have somebody come in and do something different for them, that, that are in need of some food during this week. And I want you to think, the believers prayed in the book of Acts, God, would you reach out your hand and do miraculous things? There are people in our valley right now praying, God, I don't know where the next meal is coming from. I don't know how I'm gonna provide. God, I don't know if you're real, but God, I need you to show up and do something. If you're real, God, show me that you're real. And you're gonna walk up to their door with this box of food. And they're gonna look and go, what in the world? (laughs) Why would you do this? Why do you have this hope? What is different about you that makes you do this? And in that moment, we need to be bold and be witnesses to not just do a good thing, but to show them clearly that it's not about us. It'd be amazing if they got the food, forgot completely about you, and remembered fully that God provided for them. That's the goal. And let's take that opportunity. So if you want to be part of that, after the service, you can go out by the welcome desk, and I think there'll be some there that can help you with that, to grab an envelope, to go and pick up a box, and take it to a family that could use this encouragement, this blessing from God, this miracle in some cases. And take that opportunity to be bold, to be salt and light, to not just do a good thing that you would feel good, but to do something good that God would be glorified, that they would see the good that you're doing and glorify your Father in heaven. That's what we're called to. The progression of light through the Bible is an amazing thing to me. We start with let there be light and there was light. And God declares there's a light coming. John talks about a light that is now come. And now Jesus says, the light is in you. And you will be that light. You will carry that light. It amazes me how God, who can bring light anywhere, chooses to put it in us. He chooses to entrust us to carry the light for his glory. It's incredible to me that he does that. And the question comes up, how are you doing in that? How do you feel you're actually doing at that? How, how is your saltiness? Are you still, do you still have that taste? Or have you destroyed your witness through, through outbursts of anger? Through times where you've chosen to, to live to be accepted rather than living for what's right and you've, you've compromised publicly, clearly? What are the, the ways that you have have maybe caused your witness at your workplace to be damaged? Is your witness recoverable 
by the way that you go and respond now or is it at a point that you've completely destroyed it? We need to be aware of this. We need to start thinking about this. We've got to start living in a way that, that's about representing him differently. When we live to destroy our witness through selfish, ugly, sinful actions, we're not living the way that he's called us to. Where, where are you keeping your light right now? Where is that light? Are you fearfully hiding it? Praying that God's going to bring someone else in to be his light so that you can hold on to your reputation where you're at? We got to wake up and start realizing that there's an opportunity for us to live for something bigger and better and greater than us. That others would glorify God, that they would know him, that they would find him. You're going to see people this week that you probably don't see most of the rest of the year. And you're going to get together with them, and some of them annoy you to death. Some of them you love. And, and there are people that you're going to get together with that probably do not know Christ. And the way that you respond, the way that you react, the way that you choose to carry yourself can, can be a huge thing during this season. This is a season where people think about Christ more than they do any of the rest of the year. And we need to take advantage of that. We need to take advantage of the opportunity for people to hear the truth because they're looking for it. It's time for us to realize that we are God's plan to bring light into the darkness that's around us, to be that piercing light that dissipates the darkness that is so overwhelming. He's called us to that. And remember, darkness has no power against light. Darkness is just the absence of light. If you feel like there's a lot of darkness around you, it's time to let the light shine. It's time for you to step out and be what he's called you to be. Some of you may be sitting here feeling like you've been living in darkness for your whole life, feeling like there, there is not hope, there is not a, a joy about what Christ has done. And I just want to share with you this. That light that we've been talking about, his name is Jesus. And he, the son of God, came and died paying the price that you owed for your sins. You owed God because of the way that you've chosen to live. Because of the failures and, and missing the mark that he set, which was perfection. All of us have fallen short of it. But out of his love for you, he sent the light. He sent Jesus to come and to pay what you owed so that you can be brought back into the right relationship with him. And all you have to do is put your faith in Jesus alone as the way for you to be saved. And if you're here today and, and you're realizing that you've never put your faith in Jesus alone to save you, I wanna invite you to do that. I wanna invite you to do that simply by just telling God, I'm ready to put all the weight of what it takes to save me in Jesus' hands alone. Before you leave today, if you have questions about that, come and talk to me. I'm easy to spot. Come and find me. I would love to talk you through that, to answer your questions, to help you as you take those steps. For those of us that already have put our faith in Christ, we need to live like we have. We need to realize that that we are going to heaven when we die. We need to live like people who know that. We need to live like people who represent that, who represent Christ. That gospel message needs to be seen clearly through the way we live, that others would see the way we live and glorify God. 
I'm going to pray, and then the elders have an update that they like to give you, but let's pray. God, I thank you so much for today, for this opportunity that we have to study your word. God, to, to realize that you've called us to something more. You've called us to be different. You've called us, God, to stand out with boldness in a world that needs that. God, we just pray today that you would be glorified through the good things that we do that you've prepared beforehand for us to do. And God, use us. Remind us of the gifting you've given us, God. You've equipped us, now embolden us, God. Fill us with your spirit and send us from here to be your salt and light. It's in Jesus' name we pray.